welcome into the Degress Podcast, Episode 6, Jason Street Edition, or Jay Cutler. Uh, breaking down now, um, like I said on Monday, uh, we're coming to you a day, or we're recording this a day early, going to be released Thursday. I got some, uh, uh, be actually out of town the next couple of days or and over the weekend going to a uh, coaching conference in Kansas City. And as you guys can see on the uh, YouTube, uh, there's a uh, we have a guest, like I said. So our first guest here on the Degress podcast is probably the guy who might have the most dirt on me. Definitely up there. Um, noted Chiefs fan, big Iowa Hawkeyes fan, the pride of Mankato, Minnesota, and my co- former college roommate, Grant Caster. So- hey, thanks for having me on, Chief. Uh, you know, I'm excited. Sorry for the blurry phone screen, folks, for watching on YouTube. Uh, I am in the process of getting a new phone, and hopefully uh, by next time, got a new phone, new screen. It's not as fuzzy. That, that, the phone you've probably had since uh, we've known each other? No, 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 this is a new one. Okay, uh, well. Just uh, not to bore anyone at home, but I think we're running on up to three years on this phone, so it's, <laughs> you know, time for an upgrade. Okay, yes, so also, like I said, Big Grant is a uh, big Chiefs fan, so... Have you, uh, have you, is, where does this rank in, uh, losses that sting the most? Uh, I know you've had a few over the years. Um, yeah, this, it, it's definitely top five. Just to, to spitball, uh, for the people at home, the worst regular season loss, Dylan, you saw in person was Thursday night in September. <laughs> I um, do, I, I did see this. Denver. Um, I really, that game still upsets me to this day. Uh, an underrated game no one talks about because it was almost eight years ago was 2013 wild card game at Indianapolis. Yep. Being up there um, and then just letting the Colts back in it. You know, they didn't block Robert Mathis. He had that strip sack that changed the game. Dwayne Bowe decided not to get his feet in bounds when Smith threw an absolute dot to him. <laughs> um, the 17 wild card game against Tennessee. That was the maddest I think I've seen you. Yeah, I talked to you because you were you were so mad. You called me ranting about that game. That was the most anger I've ever felt after watching a Chiefs game. Like just disbelief. You're beating the brakes off these guys again. I think they're up twenty-one-three at halftime. Just like this game, woof. Um, and then the, the Chiefs Patriots game in twenty eighteen was tough too. But that one was just a roller coaster of emotion because you're so high. You're gonna start watching that game, the twelve and four regular season. Patriots get the ball first. You're like, all right, let's get a stop. We're going to go down, get up 7-0 on these guys because remember we played them in the regular season that year. Terrible first half, only nine points. Some homes at those two red zone interceptions. And classic Patriots, they go down the field, seven-and-a-half-minute touchdown drive. Chiefs go three and out, and you're like, oh. But then with the, the comeback in the second half, we figured out this Patriots defense. Mahomes and Andy are cooking. And then I see the interception, and I'm at my house now, and I jump up downstairs and run around like a fool. There's a flag, and to this day, I remember Romo saying this. Hold on, Chiefs fans, hold on, I think this is against you! Deep was off sides, and then, you know, the Patriots, we've scored their touchdown to get up 31-28. And you're like, all right, well, it's so time. we got Patrick. He goes down, he kicks a field goal, and then to the coin flip, same like I said two weeks ago against Buffalo. Um... Whoever wins this coin toss is going to win. 
Patriots win. I think I put my head down like this, and I go, this game's over. And then those three, third, and eight-plus just rips your heart out. And, uh, you know, we'll get into more of what happens Sunday later on. So I will share save my thoughts on those yes we will so obviously we're going to start here i brought grant on for uh to come in break down kind of the off-season coaching moves and different things that are happening and obviously we got to start with probably the most biggest thing that broke yesterday when uh it was announced that brian flores was suing the nfl over uh claiming racism and I I've, obviously I haven't read the whole plaintiff or anything like that, but I it's hard for me to I gonna I don't think it is entirely based. He wasn't hired because with the Giants, I think a lot of it is is they I think the owner for the Giants Mara has been very outspoken about how much he wants to have Daniel Jones be the guy, and they've really butchered his progression and development, and they want to get the right guy. And so I think they, that's why they hired Dable, who has proven track record with what he's done with Josh Allen, with uh, Tua and Jalen at Alabama before, where he's been able to develop quarterbacks, and I think that's the main reason why they hired him. Um, I don't don't think it was necessarily because race. Unfortunately, with the way the rule is, and that's really a lot of jobs where they have to interview so many people and sometimes that's just how it is it's unfortunate it sucks um there's not really an easy solution to hiring you know you're gonna have your good hires you're gonna have your bad ones it's um what uh what are your thoughts grant well and i think we need to start off let's let's go back maybe about 10 days when the new york giants hired the new general manager i can't remember his name but he was a former assistant general manager with the buffalo bills he had uh you know that past relationship with brian dable and he got to know him really well in that building. And you know what? If, we, let's, if we're being honest, he probably had, um, going into this, a little bias or favoritism towards Brian because, like he said, Brian, what he did with Josh Allen, and to your point, working with Tua and Jalen Hurts that year at Alabama, he also spent some time in the NFL with Bill Belichick. Brian Dable, he's, he's been around good people, and he's an offensive mind. And, you know, the Giants, again, like you said, have admitted publicly they've messed Daniel Jones up. They have no consistency in offensive coaching staff. They've had four offensive line coaches in the last two seasons. You can't win. You can't win like that. And the Giants know if Daniel Jones isn't their guy, they're going to have to spend the next three seasons trying to rebuild and find another quarterback to compete in the NFL. And it looks like everyone, well, 50% of the NFC East has either their guy or someone they trust going forward with the Giants and now the Washington Commanders trying to catch up with the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and then yet, to your point with the Rooney role, it, it, it kind of does feel a little like maybe that could have been his, you know, Flores, they just interviewed him for that, but also, um, did they also interview their current defensive coordinator who's also interviewing with the Minnesota Vikings? I believe so, yeah. I know he wasn't... If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and... I think, obviously, I think that's something everybody wants to see is more diversity in the coaching field. Um, I don't, and I think just hiring someone just to hiring someone is a disservice to both the guy they hired and then the, uh, to the organization, because you're not hiring the best guy for your organization. I think there needs to be, 
Um, I don't, and Michael Lombardi talked about it past few years is develop finding ways to develop coaches and having like a uh, like some conference or like some academy where they you have, bring in former coaches who teach them and develop them and teach them how to become head coaches how to become better leaders and I think that's something a good idea that they should look into more for not just uh, minority coaches that's for across the board because I think you're going to get a better product well, and, you know, to your point with Lombardi, he also said last week that so many of these former Belichick assistants maybe don't work out because they truly don't know his recipe. They yep. just see Bill from the outside, um, and they think, oh, I can go go to my own place and do this and interact and do whatever. Well, that's not true. They need to know what Bill's process is. And his big thing is, is he starts coaches from the ground up. Yep. He builds them kind of like infants. You know, if, when it, if you're in the wild, you see a deer walking around. It's got shaky legs. You got to go from the bottom up, and um, you know he said the biggest mistake Bill made was when they went to Cleveland the first time. They hired an offensive line coach who was in the NFL for a long time, was stubborn and wanted to coach the position his way, just because that's been his position and that's what he did. They had an opportunity to hire now the head coach of the University of Iowa, Kirk Ferentz, but he decided after Bill told him no that he was going to take the University of Maine job. Well, after two or three seasons, the Browns realized, hey, this was a mistake. We need to hire, we need to bring Kirk in. Kirk was let go from the University of Maine and then brought into to Cleveland for a couple of seasons, and that's when they had success in one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. So to your point, thinking we need to get down and we need to start co- developing these coaches from a young age on what's wrong and what's right and then have guys like Belichick and Andy Reid, and Harbaugh, and Pete Carroll, who have gone through the same, and Tom Coughlin, who have been fired, who said, hey, I made this mistake, you know, next time if I can go around, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. You know, we're just hiring too many guys right away with not enough experience, and then not only hurts them, but also hurts everyone that hired the organization, because then people are going to say, I can't trust this guy, because look at the failing place he just came from. Yeah, yeah, and I said Mike Tomlin, not Coughlin, but he'd be a good one too. But speaking of Belichick, let's uh, transition over to the uh, Raiders hired uh, Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a guy, good. Cor- it's I think it's a good hire. I think he learned a lot from his first uh, stint in Denver. You hear a lot of guys talk about how football knowledge. You're gonna. You won't meet somebody who knows more than him. The biggest issue with him was the way he handled players. Um, obviously, you go back to the Belichick school. You, I think, he learned a lot. I think he seems like you know the NFL is a humbling league, and I think he's gonna be a good, uh, good addition to uh, help Derek Carr take that next step. Oh yeah, and that's that's the big thing. I think you look at the Raiders now and. For the most part, this season should have been a wash. It should have been a disaster. I mean, after week five, when your coach is sending out emails about, you know, topless cheerleaders from the Washington at the time Redskins, you got to saying, why are we drafting Sam, uh, Michael Sam, excuse me, from the University of Missouri? Just anything that could have went wrong for the Raiders this year did go wrong. And then, you know, Henry Ruggs decides to make a decision that no one should ever make, and it's going to start to spiral. And, you know, if it could have went wrong, it did. But Derek Carr kind of rallied the troops and, you know, he held the ship together. And then rightfully so, we're a playoff team. You know, you know me being a Chiefs fan. 
I like to bash on the Raiders because they haven't played defense in 12 years. Um, and I always give Derek Carr a hard time. But, you know, you gained a lot of respect for him. And for him to get a coach who's going to come in and truly understand his strengths and weaknesses and he's going to build an offense around him, that would be the big thing. But, again, for the last, you know, we've been saying this, I joke, for the last 12 years, can he hire a defensive staff and can they hire a general manager and your director of player personnel, director of college scouting, can they get together and identify good defensive pieces that fit their system? Um, you know, you got Max Crosby and Abraham. He's a nice player from Mississippi State. They, they need more of that. You know, KJ, right, he's on his last tooth. Because let's look at that division. Patrick, you played Patrick Mahomes twice this year. He gave up 41 and I think want to say 48 points. You play, yeah. you play Justin Herbert for the next 10 years. And who knows what Denver's going to do. Um, are they going to go out and are they going to get an Aaron Rodgers? Or are they going to try to trade for Deshaun Watson? Or are they going to maybe take a young guy? But you look at the young pieces that Denver has on the offensive side of the ball with, with an offensive line that's getting better, two good running backs, Noah Fant, um, Corbin Sutton, and Jerry Judy. There's some dogs. And there's some offenses in that division. So McDaniels is going to have to you know, hire the right people, get the right coaches in, but then also... Um, Patton is going to have to get the good. No, not, um, sorry, the thing in Denver, <laughs> Oakland, in Las Vegas is going to have to get the right personnel department, general manager, and find good fits on their defense. And keep Rich is it Biaggia? Biaggia, I think. Bisaccia, yes. I know he's there's. He was interviewing for the special teams coordinator for the Bears. I don't know if they've made that official yet or not, but. Well, that's that's a shame because Josh McDaniels, if he wants to keep this locker room together, when they said you're the next head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, I would have called Massage yeah, and said, your first call. You need to be my assistant head coach and special teams coordinator because um, I want I want to talk to you. I because you know these players so well. You wrote letters to them after the game in Cincinnati. I want to keep some cohesion in this locker room, and I need to keep you around. Yep. Yeah, and I guess let's uh, we can stay in the uh, AFC West and talk about the uh, Broncos hiring Nathaniel Hackett. This feels like a uh, an attempt to um, try to get get Aaron Rodgers there and Devonte. Uh, Devonte probably will end up getting franchised. I think I don't see him trying to find a way to leave Green Bay. But it seems like Hackett who. Aaron Rodgers speaks very highly of said that if he ever leaves, he wants he wants to be a quarterback there. So uh, interesting to see uh, some. Um, I don't think he was. I don't know if he was calling plays in Green Bay. I still think that was Lafleur. But uh, interesting to see how his he works out there, um, even if they're not able to get Rodgers or if they are, because it's playing in one of the toughest divisions in the AFC. Oh, absolutely, and I think you're absolutely right. Where people they're sitting back, and the Rogers hype train is going to go haywire because, like you said, he trusts Hackett. Even um, I think was it the new offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears was the passing game coordinator, quarterbacks coach at the Green Bay Packers. Now we all know Rogers ain't going to Chicago. He ain't going anywhere in the NFC North. But two people, like you said, Rogers spoke highly of and trust as football people. With that being said. You know, can Hackett call plays? And, you know, how many times did we also hear in Green Bay where Rodgers got him out of bad play? You know, and, and nothing against Nathan Hackett. He's head coach in the NFL. This is 
one of the hardest jobs in the country to get. It's easier to be a senator in this country than just to be an NFL head coach because there's only 32 of these open out there. <laughs> um, so I th- but I think, you know, Hackett, he's the young, younger, energetic offensive mind who's going to get his team, you know, excited to play offense. And that's, that seems that's just the way this league is going. Yep. Um, but, yeah, if they don't get that Rodgers, if, if Rodgers maybe doesn't want to leave Green Bay, if he retires, if Denver can't get him, it's going to be interesting because clearly Teddy's not your guy. Yep. Drew Locke was drafted by Elway, and Elway's not calling the shots now. It's, um, you know, Greg Patton. So who can they get? Can they trade for Deshaun Watson? Are they going to try to draft a Matt Corral? Um, what's, what's going on? Because this Denver roster is still too good to tank next year to, to get the C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young sweepstakes. Or is it like um, a Kenny Pickett option does maybe – does Hack come in and say, hey, you know what? Aaron would be great, but we only got him for a year or two. This could maybe be my guy going forward. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting. But um, you know, this is about the first time in like five years Denver has an offensive-minded head coach. He might be a little more young and a little more progressive. And he also might, you know, get these guys in a good spot to succeed. Because if you look at this Denver offense, I think it's safe to say Jerry Judy's going to become Devontae Adams. Yep. And, um, you know, Green Bay's tight end this year, I'm drawing a blank. You know, he had a down year, but two years ago, he was fantastic. Maybe Noah Fan can develop into that. And, you know, Valdez Scanlon, you got, you got Cortland Sutton. Um, and I think Cortland might be a better better receiver than Judy right now, along with uh, uh, Boyle. Is it? No. Boyle plays for the Packers. Who's the receiver for them that they just signed to a contract? I, I can't remember. But then also, you know, you got um, the young man from North Carolina who was a rookie last year, who's a lo- built a lot like AJ Dillon. If you can re-sign Melvin Gordon, you can compare him. He's kind of a comp to Aaron Jones. You look at some of the skill players that both teams have, and again, I'm not saying Denver Tim Patrick. Jones. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's the yep. uh, receiver I was thinking of. Yep, I'm not saying Green Bay's Denver skill players are what Green Bay's is. They're just they're not. They're a lot but better because number 12 is throwing them the ball. Because number 12 is throwing the ball, and, you know, they kind of have that cock. And, you know, having a quarterback is a straw that starts to drink in this league. Um, we don't know what Devontae's like without Aaron. We don't know what Aaron Jones looks like without number 12 because he's maybe checking out and getting him in a nice place. But Denver's in a tricky spot as an organization because everywhere else in the AFC West is climbing. And they're not going down, but they're kind of plateauing. And again, when you're in the division with Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes, you got to figure it out. Because for the next 12 years, you're going to play, what, 36 games a year? Or over a span of time, you're going to play a lot of a lot of games against those dudes. And if you keep going 2-4, and 1-5 and five in the division, you're going to have a new head coach up in four seasons. Yep. Well, and it sounds like, too, is that Hackett, that's one of Hackett's strengths, is being exciting. He has a from what I've heard is he's got a very exciting way of teaching the game of football to to the team, and uh, that definitely will help probably energize because feels like the last two hires the Broncos have made in uh, Vance Joseph and um, Vic Fangio, they're, I, I don't, I don't want to say they're bad coaches because I don't think they are. It's just they, they feel like because they're a little bit older, they struggle getting, getting that message across and 
being they're more grinders and I you, you which you absolutely need, but sometimes you need that change of voice to make remind these guys that, you know, hey, football is still fun. Well exactly. And you know, from also um, you know, I was just introduced this, you know, maybe six months ago to a you know, a buddy of mine who uh worked for the Chicago Bears um, for two seasons and knew Vic Fangio personally. And he goes, great defensive coach, a great defensive mind, but he's just not a head coach because, to your point, they're a little more older, they're a little more conservative. And when you're a little more conservative like that, your team's not going to play scared, but they're not going to reach their full potential. Like, they're they're not going to, like what Andy Reid said, when times gets grim, be the grim reaper. Yes. Teams like that, they don't have that push. And, um, you know, I think you're also right. It's hard to connect with these younger players when you're an older coach. Because well, this guy, he's 65 years old. He's been in the league for 30 years. He's maybe used to one way. You know, he's used to his version of the good old boys club, which is the NFL. And now it's going upside down. It's That's not that. And also, some of these older coaches, they're stubborn and they're afraid to adapt. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And um, we will uh, let's go over to another younger coach and – We've been a lot of NFC North talk, so we'll go over over there and we'll discuss uh, Matt Eberflus hiring by the uh, Bears, which I thought was a little bit surprising. I thought they would kind of they'd try to go more so in an offensive direction as well to try to bring along Justin or uh, Justin Fields and try to help that offense that's just struggled so much under Trubisky and Nagy, and then just just. Just have never seemed to be able to get the offense off the ground. Um, mm-hmm. you're, yeah, you're right. Eberflus, he kind of came, he kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, you know, you hate to judge a book by its cover, but after watching Hard Knocks this year and season the Colts, you kind of saw him again. He's the same ways, you know, a little more conservative mindset. Um, you know, he wasn't pumping up his players a lot. But you know, you look at the Colts defense; they were a top five defense. They played with energy. They played with passion. Um, and, you know, like the guy said earlier, he went out and hired Green Bay's quarterback coach and offense coordinator to run his offense. So I think he said, you know what, I might take the approach of I'm going to oversee this whole organization. I'm truly going to be a CEO, like what Lombardi says, and I'm going to get someone who I trust um, to be in my quarterback's ear 24-7, 365, so I can do the media stuff. And I can run a team and I can talk with their operations team about you know, traveling and practice schedules with that. But, um, yeah, Eberflus, you know, you really don't know much about him because, you know, the Colts, he didn't have a top five defense, but how much of that was Darius Leonard going around, you know, making a play, being the maniac um, that he is. They had to trade for DeForest Buckner. Um, and, you know, they drafted Quiddy Pay last year. who was a player they really liked. Yep. And what's interesting is if Matt's going to run the defense, he's going to want to run. Going to be conservative, going to play a little more zone. He's going to need Hakeem next and a healthy Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. Because we've seen in this league, if you want to sit back and play zone like the Colts did, if you can't get after the quarterback, these defenses, these offenses are going to yeah. rip your defense apart. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Fields develops from year one to year two. Uh, that's that's obviously the biggest thing within the franchise. Um, it seems like the Bears are kind of an organization that's run in the 50s. They're kind of stuck thinking football is played that way. We'll see with the hires they make, if especially on offense, like you said, if they're able to take that next step and go.
go because I mean they ha- I think they have the defense uh, they have the pass rush to do it which is the most important position on defense is if you're able to get to the quarterback and put pressure on them um, that's gonna that that's gonna be that's the biggest key to success if you look at it any team the teams in the Super Bowl or past Super Bowl winners they've been able to get pressure on the quarterback and make that quarterback uncomfortable well exactly and also I think you know back to the offensive coordinator you're coming from Green Bay it's an extension of that Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense. You know, we're going to be under center. We're going to send guys in motion. We're, we're going to maybe get our quarterback on the move. We're going to get the running game going. So with this new offense, there might be a little more creativity, and the coaching will help Justin because, you know, they're going to set up plays that benefit him where, you know, he can maybe use his legs, and if they're on the left half, he can roll out right. And he's yeah. got one two option. If not, you know what? He can use his legs and he can run. And he's going to know to not take those shots. He's going to slide. So I, I just think Matt, Matt's offense, he was stuck in Kansas City 2013 to 2016. Yes. Um, he, he, did, he never wanted to adjust. A lot of shotgun based, quick reads, short passes. Um, no runs from under center. It was, it was never physical. His offensive line never got a chance to run truly ball down the hill so I think this is maybe a change that they need because they, they just need to hit the refresh on the organization yep. because like said, they were just stale yeah absolutely yeah that's exactly what I thought watching them too was just bleh and exactly there, were, there was no pizzazz to this team you know they didn't have passion Nagy looked like he had more fun at practice than <laughs> he, did, he did coaching a team mm-hmm. and there just wasn't much excitement there yep and I guess let's stay in the uh, NFC North with a team that hasn't hired anybody yet. There's obviously um, Jim Harbaugh is interviewing today. We haven't heard word yet on what the Vikings plan to do. Uh, This was um, the... I was kind of a critic of them firing Mike Zimmer, um, but the more you kind of... The more that comes out, the more you read, it kind of seems like it was... It was time just hearing how... They based uh, Zimmer and Spielman. They didn't talk like the entire year, which is unfortunate. It does. It's a disservice to the players who the talent is there. It's just it seemed like it got into a whose ego is bigger almost. Well, yeah, and I would agree. And I'd even I'd go far and say of the was it nine coaching openings we have right now. Um, the Minnesota Vikings. This is the best opening. Yeah. Um, them and you know. The one team no one's talking about right now, another good one is New Orleans Saints, but with New Orleans, they don't have a quarterback we don't know yet because Jameis tore his ACL Halloween against the Bucks. They, what are you and talking about? They got Taysom Hill. Get out of here. With <laughs> um, I'm gonna act. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna pretend you didn't even say that. that <laughs> um, but yeah, you know the Vikings. You look at their core players on offense. Uh, hello, Kirk Cousins. Not the problem. You know, no. is he is he Patrick Mahomes? Is he Tom Brady? Is he Aaron Rodgers? Is he Josh Allen? Is he Joe Burrow? No, but you know what? There's what five of them in this league. Um, you know, Kirk's a nice player. He's a nice quarterback. I'd say he's top twelve in this league. You've got Justin Jefferson, who second in the league in receiving this year. Adam Thielen can still get open. KJ Osborne kind of came on this year. Yep. You know, you got a Madison running the ball. Madison, who's a, who's one of the best backups in the league. I was at the game this year against Detroit when Dalvin got hurt. Madison, I think he went over for 120 in a tutty. You still got Dalvin. If you can bring Swerve and Irv back from injury, 
Osborne's was a or uh, Conklin. Conklin was a good tight end. Nice, nice player. Uh, Darisaw and, and O'Neill are bookend tackles for a, for a long time. You know the Vikings; they just need to figure out that interior. I guess Ezra Cleveland was good. It's center and right guard. So yep. set there, and then also, you know, on the defensive side of the football, that's where this team needs a little more work, which is hard to say with Zimmer being the head coach. But if Daniel can, you know, if he can just stay healthy, no pec issues, no disc problem in his back. Um, was it Quantum, the young man from South Carolina? He played great, you know, this year. You got Michael Pierce and Delvin Tomlinson in the middle. Where it gets shaky is your back set because Kendricks has always hurt. You don't know how his contract's going to be. Some of the hands and bar might go. And then besides, um, you know, Woods and Smith played well, but your corners aren't. That's not good. Um, I think we might be looking at possibly a Derek Stingley in the first round if he's still there. Yep. Because, um, yeah, the corner, that's the biggest problem on this Vikings defense. But again, all of what I just said is that's, that's a great title opening to have and I think Harbaugh is, is thinking to himself you know if not Minnesota I'm going to stay in Michigan because yeah. I don't have to rebuild this team like he didn't have to rebuild San Francisco no and and he would bring that kind of that toughness that he brought he brings everywhere he's gone where it seemed like Minnesota almost was missing that last year uh, yeah. just just especially on the defensive side they just you know if it was a third and short you knew they were get the offense of whoever they were playing was going to be getting Extending that play, the uh, the drive. Uh, he'll come in and he'll bring that juice every day to a practice and get those guys playing. Because you know, one thing under a Jim Harbaugh coach team is you're never gonna hear them hear them talk about that the guys aren't playing hard because they're gonna play hard. Correct. And as a Michigan fan, I don't want to see him leave. But at the end of the day, I I'm going to try to be positive, and, you know, I, I remember how what Michigan was before he came here, and he's left them, that Michigan, in a much better place than what they uh, what they were when he took over. Oh, absolutely, and also, to tie it back when we were talking about the Denver Broncos, it's probably a good call that Harbaugh and Vic Fangio are going to come in and work together. Yep. Um, you know, Fangio, he's the defensive coordinator. He'd be able to come in and, I think, get this Vikings defense Right, and the big thing is both of them, they're going to learn how to finish. The Vikings, they couldn't finish because how many games this year did they, they get the most points, I think, in the first the last two minutes, the first half this year. And how many times they, they weren't aggressive and they let teams come back in the last two minutes um, of these games. So they just need someone who's going to come in and they need, they need to learn how to finish. And it's not with posters. It's not with hoorah-rah phrases. It's just coming in and being hard-nosed and understanding your assignment, which is what Harbaugh and Fangio teams are. Because, like you said, they're never not going to work hard, and they're also never going to be out of place. Yep. You know, when Michigan got beat, sometimes it was fluke stuff, or it was just guess what? The other team just was a little better than them. Yep. And, well, and the other thing, too, I like I talked about, you know, on their defensive side for the Vikings, where it was a third and one, they seemed to be extending it. And then on the flip side... When it was third and one, when they were on offense, just you—you you could almost count on them not getting it. And I think with if you watched Michigan this year and previous years on those short-yarded situations on both sides of the ball, Michigan was really, really good. And, and that's a toughness, that's a mentality thing, and Harbaugh brings that. Oh, for sure. And you know, 
like you said, the Vikings, they were just missing that this year. And if they can come in and they can get that mentality built in your team, which starts in the offseason. When, when he gets boots on the ground, when they, um, you know, they're doing OTAs that first day of padded practice, you know, it gets hot here in Minnesota. I want to see the nine-on-seven drills. I want to see goal line drills. You know, sure you can't do going pads anymore because we're all about, you know, you got to keep the players safe, but you also learn to play football while playing football. Yeah. Um, why do you think the Patriots are so good for so many years? Belichick hadn't practiced outside in the snow. This year, when they got done playing Buffalo in the regular season, and they ran in Mac Jones and threw the ball three times, what did Belichick say in the locker room? That's why you're practicing this shit. <laughs> so you had that mentality built up. Um, you you don't take the thermostats down when you walk outside. You know what you say? Huh. It's 12 degrees outside. But you know what? If we can get through this crap Monday through Saturday, we could go inside and play in a nice 68-degree dome on the inside with a great fan base who's going to be loud and they're going to get after it. So, you know, it'll be interesting. Um, I think if Harbaugh leaves Michigan, coming to Minnesota would be a good job for him. And also, this is what Noah's talking about. He wouldn't have to deal with ownership who's in his way. Yep. That's what him out of San Francisco. The Wilfs, they and have people run the show. They, they just want to sit back and really, you know, they're kind of in it for the investments um, of owning a team. And, you know, probably have a little few bursts or a little pride and say, hey, I run an NFL team, but um, they let the football people do their thing. Yeah, exactly. And um, let's transition because uh, we talked earlier with the uh, um, about the uh, Saints. So, obviously, Saints are still looking for another job, a new Coach, I think Sean Payton really kind of saw the writing on the wall there. $76 million over the cap. They don't have a quarterback. And I think I think when you're in a spot for 16 years, you hear a lot of coaches talk about the 10-year uh, the, uh, the rule, similar to like what John Madden did. And uh, I think he was just worn down. I think he just needs a uh, time to kind of get himself right and wouldn't be shocked to see him on TV, and who knows how long he's out, but I he can have a job yesterday if he really wanted to get back into coaching. Um, oh, I agree. What, uh, what do you think is the uh, direction the Saints go? I know they were interviewing Leftwich. Uh, they were also – they've interviewed Dennis Allen. They were interviewing the Lions D coordinator as well. He was the secondary coach in New Orleans for all these yep. last years. Um, you know, call me crazy. I think they might – I think they might stay in-house and promote Dennis Allen, like you said. You know, he's another coach who was the head coach for Oakland for two years, like two years and four games. Didn't have much success, but also look at the roster that he had. And just because if you look at the Saints and their offense, their defensive personnel, the way they've been these last couple of years, he's got a good grasp on that team. Um, you know, he's a leader. The players trust him. And it's not like the Saints need a culture change. No. Like, the Jacksonville Jaguars are, you know, maybe, you know, someone like the Chicago Bears. The Saints have a good culture set in place. They just went hog wild and tried to win the Super Bowl when Drew, when Drew was around and they thought, you know, with Jameis, with this good defense and a strong running game, they could do it. And like I said, they spent like crazy. And spent, wasted way too much money on Taysom way Hill. Way too much money on Taysom Hill. I mean, for the love of. Jiminy Crickets, you have a backup quarterback who's making $16 million a year. 
he's a gadget guy. He's he's not one of the Saints games. No. Um, and they could have given that money to Michael Thomas, and Michael Thomas could have had surgery in the offseason. He could have played this year. And they, they, the Saints were still in the playoff rush um, at the end of the year. Yeah, and you could argue this is probably the best job Peyton's done. Best job Peyton's ever done. And, um, yeah, so Taysom Hill is just an absolute disaster, and they need to get rid of that contract if they can. Um, but, yeah, I think they might stay in-house with Dennis Allen just because he knows the Saints' culture and he knows the Saints' way. Um Big thing is, is can you, you know, Jameis come off that torn ACL? You're going to bring him back? Do you maybe draft a guy like Pickett or Corral in the first round and kind of see where you got? Because then if you do, you at least have a cheaper option at quarterback for these next four years while you try to get your roster back into place and you're cutting players and you're saving cap space. So it'll be interesting. You know, Byron Leftwich. You know, I kind of like that because if you are going to keep Jameis, he's someone he worked with, and yep. you can continue with Jameis's growth. Because you know, Sean, he kind of handcuffed him a bit this year. You're going to have to let Jameis cook if you want to win games in this league. But also now that you know Tom is retired, the NFC South is wide open. Kind of random thought here, but we're in the NFC South. Are the Atlanta Falcons now the favorite in that division? I mean, right now they they have the best quarterback in the division, they have the so best it's. And I say that, but and and they they quietly went. Did they they seven, went what seven and ten seven and ten yeah, which is crazy. And they were they were only eliminated in week seventeen, I think. Yeah, so it's it's crazy, but I I, I do think the Saints will stay in house because Dennis Allen knows the players, he knows the roster, um, and they don't need a culture change. No. They just you know need someone to guide them through. It's going to be a bumpy couple of years because of the salary cap. Yep. And, yeah, so we talked about kind of a, I guess you could say a semi-retirement for uh, Sean Payton. So we can talk now about, uh, there were there were a couple of big retirements, a couple of guys. We we grew up with watching and watching them on our TV screens from when we were kids to now. Uh, obviously, we got to start with the big one, Tom Brady. I kind of gave my uh, two cents on it on the podcast on Monday, so wanted to get a... Uh, different perspective uh, on uh, Tom Brady's career and his retirement. For us kids who were born, I'll say, 1990 and later. Yep. So right, I'm going to bring in two sports here. Right before Jordan won his first title, this is our Michael Jordan. Yeah. In 20 years when we talk, we're going to sit back and say, Brady was just built different. He was a winner. He was cutthroat, and we're going to be in awe of him, you know, because we never we never got to see Jordan's prime. We saw him maybe play a couple seasons with the Wizards, but this is our version of Michael Jordan, and the fact that he was just how such competitive he was, and he wasn't going to lose for anything. And how many times did we have to sit back and say, you know, this game's not over with him. This game's not over. And another thing you talk about is competitive spirit. He was just a culture changer. Yeah. Because, because he was, you know, his mindset is this. You treat, you treat the CEO the same way you treat the janitor. He was the CEO everywhere he went, but he worked like a janitor. He worked like a janitor. He worked like a two-star recruit out of high school. Maybe he was a three-star. He worked like a six-round pick. You know, there's not many people in the world who are going to have his fame, his fortune, his stature. 
and work like they need to have two jobs because they got a family to feed. And that, I think that's the one thing that no one talked about enough with Tom is just how much he cared. And in his retirement, you know, he said this, he goes, I'm not committed to the game of football like everyone else should be. The dude just threw for, what, 5,100 yards? 53. 5,300 yards, well over 40 touchdowns, and looked like an absolute monster out there. But he said, you know what, I can't give you my all. And if I can't give you my all, kind of just like MJ, the fans who are paying money don't deserve to see this. And, you know, we'll, we'll never see it again at the quarterback position as much as, you know, you love Patrick and Josh Allen is an alien with all the dots that he yeah. throws and how cool Joe Burrow is. Yep. We're never going to see anyone as calm, cool, or collected as, as Tom. And just, you know, that assassin who was just such a competitor but almost loved the work more. You just kind of got the vibe that Tom almost enjoyed Monday through Saturday as much as he did on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was almost, obviously, it kind of almost, it ended a little sour, it seemed like, with him and the Patriots. But him and Belichick were the perfect, they were they were exact replicas of each other, where they both loved that process, the Monday through Saturday. The games were fun. But they loved the grind of it. They loved putting in the work. They loved studying the film. And yeah, it's it was it's an incredible career. And obviously, you want to see him more. But it's it's also cool at the same time because the last image we have of Tom Brady is unfortunately them not winning. But him coming back twenty-seven to three, tying it. His last pass, one of his last passes, being an absolute dime to Mike Evans. And he's not many quarterbacks you can, or players in general or anything, you can see retire on their own terms where they were still at the top of their game. And they, yeah, he could have played another year, but I think he also has seen other quarterbacks, you know, like a Big Ben, like Peyton Manning, who his last year, they they did win a Super Bowl the last year, but it wasn't because of him. Well, yeah, and you're absolutely right. Even, let's even talk about some other dudes. Like Drew Brees, he can yep. throw the ball past ten yards at, at the end of his career, and to see Brett Favre retire, you know, get knocked out on that cold Monday night, yep, you know, at TCF. Tom doesn't want that lasting image of his career to be him. He, you know, in his retirement, it also embodies a Patriot way, and I say that in this way: you get rid of a player a year before, you know, Belichick's thing. If he saw yep. someone, you know, going on the decline. He got rid of them a year before they would go bad, so he wouldn't hurt his teammates. And Tom looked at it like this. I can play again, but you know what? There's a chance maybe I get hurt. Or maybe Father Time just does catch up to me. I don't have the arm strength to have, and his just pocket presence was great. Maybe he loses a little bit of that you know, twitch, twitchiness in the, in the pocket, and he just wanted to go out with everyone's lasting image of him still being on top of the world, which also is just a king move. Yeah. Where you can say, people can't talk bad about him. No. You know, throughout his career. And it's just, it was, you know, not storybook ending, but he went out the way he wanted to. And like I said, he's the Michael Jordan of our generation. Um, you know, people talking TB12 forever. I'm, I'm pretty sure his line of TB12 hats is going to go through the roof. Yeah. You know, this summer for sales. And, you know, hell, I might have to get one and wear it on the golf course this summer just to because it's like, hey, I'm repping Tom Brady. You know, this is, this is yeah. cool. 
exactly and yeah like you said i that was a that's a, actually a really good analogy that's why i have you on is you know he that that is the patriot way of you know getting rid of him a guy early so i yep and uh now we will talk about uh another guy who um i don't know how you this he, uh, obviously going to be a future hall of famer uh he was one that quite didn't quite uh, have that as close to a storybook considering the circumstances as you could have in Big Ben who growing up obviously I was always a big Tom Brady uh, stan and but you you always had to respect Big Ben's game the guy was just tough he just was a, an escape artist which is crazy how how he was able to find ways to do it but yeah obviously in that scene in Pittsburgh with hit the entire crowd going crazy them him being able to get the ball back after they force a turnover and that that that's one that's going to be the lasting image of Big Ben that I'll remember. We we don't have to talk about the his last game as the Chiefs, but well, and even if I could chime in, I texted you at, on Tuesday after that game against Cleveland. I said Big Ben ain't done yet. He's got you know just one more shot. He went into Pittsburgh and he led that game-winning drive, and he got the Steelers in the playoffs. You know his career, like they said in the broadcast, his career started in Baltimore. And he got his last playoff berth with a win in Baltimore. And that's just cool for him. To go into Ray Lewis's house, Edry, Terrell Suggs, Nick Fee, just the, you know, Calais Campbell for these last couple of years, Patrick Lee and Jimmy Smith. So for him to go in and win in Baltimore one last time is one thing that I'll remember. Sure, you know, oh, Lamar Jackson, like Tyler Hundley. You know, that's that's all right. It was still still cool. Yeah, and the other part, too, is is he uh, he embodied that the attitude that most Pittsburgh and the, I think they're called Yinzers. I'm not uh, up to date on my uh, Pittsburgh yeah, slang, but he he was that guy. He was kind of that that blue collar, under recruited out of Miami of Ohio. Just just went showed up, did the work, and found way. Just grinded his way to find ways to help the uh, Steelers win. And I think. He, that's why he was such a fan favorite there is because he embodied that Pittsburgh attitude, that Pittsburgh toughness. You know, I'm glad you bring that up because also another guy I've kind of compared him to where they didn't miss starts, they were gritty, they were tough, they drove you crazy, Like, but was, was Brett Favre. And same way Brett Favre embraced Green Bay, same yep. way that Ben embraced Pittsburgh. You know, these guys, they, they really felt like they were the city they were playing in was a city that, that represented them. It, it fit their personality. Kind of, you know, in, in a way, you could say like when Magic Johnson here went to Los Angeles, he, he, was the, he was the leader of Showtime. He was flashy. He was glamorous. People wanted to sit back and they wanted to watch him play. The same way that these two quarterbacks, um, you know, represent their city in here. And I always kind of like that. I think that's cool when quarterbacks can... Um, and players can you know, represent the city that they play in. It's just you know it's kind of fun when you have that personality match. Yep, yep, and that that helps with the success of teams. If you look at even like like a Joe Burrow, who just similar to uh, just toughness, find a way to get it done, and um, yeah, that really just it's always cool to see when a quarterback will come in face of that franchise, just take take on the identity identity of what that city is and help bring them along and if it ends up winning them a championship it ends up winning them a championship so exactly but 
Well, Grant, thank you for coming on, being the first guest on the Degress podcast. We will definitely won't be the last time we'll have you back on here. Uh, maybe have you on around draft time, maybe to uh, discuss, uh, go over a mock draft. So thank you again for coming on. You are welcome. And, you know, if I could just chime in real quick on, on this Chiefs game. Um, oh, yes, we, everyone, we'll talk about Everyone that. in the media is obsessed with Mahomes and Reed. And, my, yes, my God, did they butcher the end of that first half. Five seconds left, no timeouts. If you're going to send a guy in motion, throw it at his feet. Okay, that was bad. But the one thing I'm really pissed off in the media no one's talking about is how the Chiefs' pass rush in the second half had no integrity on their lanes and the fact that they couldn't bring Burrow down. On all those drives, they had four opportunities on third and seven plus to get a sack on him, and they missed every single time. Chris Jones, if I'm paying you $95 million a year, you got to bring him down. Um, you know, Melvin Ingram, Frank Clark, I get it, you want to get after the quarterback. But just like the Patriot way, when you get to the quarterback level, you need to peel back. You need to make sure he can't escape the, the pocket. And on those drives, they got field goals, and those were the field goals they needed. Um, so just, you know, something I just wanted to get off my chest because no one's talking about it because elephant in the room, let's talk about the clock management and the debacle in the second half. But the pass rush didn't do their thing in containing Joe Burrow and like what Matt Eberflus says and now Chicago. Got to keep him in the well. Yep. Keep them in the well, and we're going to win games. And they just, you know, they didn't do it. And uh, since they didn't make those plays, they didn't deserve to win. But what do you do? Yep. Oh, well, that's life. I don't think that's going to be the last time the Chiefs are uh, in that spot. So, wouldn't they've, the, obviously, and Andy Reid's a good coach, so he's going to make adjustments, and they'll find ways to uh, improve that roster. So. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, they'll make the right choices. You know, who knows? I don't know. Maybe they'll keep Spags. Maybe they won't, but. It'll be a bit of a roster overall. I will say this. I hope they keep Melvin Ingram. I hope, I hope they can bring him back because he's the opposite rusher that they need next to Chris. And then, you know, Frank was hurt to start this year. But, um, you know, hopefully he can come back healthy and, you know, we're ready to roll in next season. Yep. Yeah, well, I know it's crazy. It's uh, coming to an end already. So. Mm-hmm. But we will uh, thank you again for coming on, and we will uh, talk to you next time. Yeah, sounds good. I'm uh, looking, looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Grant. Yep, see you around. All right. Thank you to Grant for coming on again to the Degress Podcast, uh, Episode 6. Um, we will be back on Monday doing a little bit of a breakdown of the uh, Super Bowl. Might I might divide it up. I haven't decided how I want to do it. Do the two episodes next week. I might do one team Monday, next team Thursday with a final recap prediction. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Thank you again for listening. Uh, Check us out on iTunes and Spotify. We'll also be on YouTube as well. This uh, On Thursday, we recorded this a day early because I'm going to be out of town going to a coaching conference in Kansas City. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you back here next time.